So Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Rosa, thank you very much for reading for us. So, chapter 6 of Romans uh, is addressing this, uh, this one big issue. Uh, how can it be that this, this gift of grace, this absolute free gift of a forgiveness for all the sin that you've ever done in the past, all the sin that you've ever done in the future, how is it not just going to produce people who just live as they want to live? How will taking uh, that punishment ahead for sin that we commit not just produce a, a, a liberty, a sort of a, a laxness um, in relation uh, to living? Uh, and people were saying, uh, you can't be serious about that. It's not safe uh, to tell people to live in that way. Uh, and the answer that Paul gives uh, to that accusation concerning his gospel message comes in two parts. Um, and uh, we looked at the first of those last week uh, with the idea that becoming a Christian means dying a death. Um, and then this second part uh, tells us that becoming a Christian means becoming a slave. 
um, and, and admit they're both pretty funny ideas. Uh, if you're here uh, exploring the Christian faith, it may well be that you're thinking to yourself, oh, this is just what I always thought it was, this becoming a Christian business. It is as grim and miserable as I always anticipated. I always thought those Christians were just sort of miserably enslaved to, to going to church and reading their Bible and saying their prayers and all those rules and regulations that they have to keep. It's just what I thought. Terrible business being enslaved like that. Uh, and maybe if you are a Christian, um, maybe you think something pretty similar. And every now and again, you are sneaking a sideways glance, thinking, oh, all those non-Christians living that liberated life, able to do whatever they like, looks really attractive. All these things that I have to do, miserable. If only I were free to, to just live like I wanted to, like them. See, we get sucked into that way of thinking. So it's good to ask the question, who is really free? And, and, and whenever preachers like me uh, get to talking about freedom, it's not long before we start thinking about goldfish. Um, because we all love our little goldfish illustration. Uh, you know how it goes. that, that um, The goldfish in the goldfish bowl is, doesn't need to be liberated from the goldfish bowl. Because the water is its right environment. It's its right and proper place to live. And liberating it from the water doesn't make it free. And in just the same way, being a Christian, living the human life, is about living in our right and proper environment, which is God. Just as the goldfish lives in its right and proper environment in the water. Uh, I heard recently about a, a friend of mine, Nigel Stiles, who, who once, in order to illustrate this very vividly, um, brought a goldfish bowl, complete with goldfish swimming around, up into the pulpit with him. And at the, the, the requisite moment in the middle of his talk, he said, you see, shall I liberate this goldfish? Let's liberate the goldfish. And he flipped it out of the goldfish bowl, and it dropped on the floor at his feet. There, be free, goldfish, he said. Now, pretty dramatic moment, and I, and I guess it sort of made his point very clearly, but I can't imagine anyone was listening to the rest of the talk. <laughs> Which is a shame, because it emerged afterwards that, in fact, it was a, a little stick of carrot uh, that he flicked out of the goldfish bowl and onto the floor. Anyway, you get the point. that It's not liberating from some sort of constrained zone that we need. No, 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 it's a very different sort of picture that we're looking at here. But, but actually, the, the picture that we've got here in Romans 6 it is slightly different. Because what we're being told here is that there are two domains and that we are slaves to one or the other. There's, there's two contexts, two realms and all of us belong to one of them. Um, Bob Dylan, if you're old enough to remember him, uh, put it very clearly like this. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. 
You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. It's very hard not to sing that. Um, I'm glad for your sake that I, that I resisted. Uh, but you get his point. It's good theology uh, in one of Dylan's uh, peak moments. All of us are enslaved. Now, that's such a funny idea because that's not the way that we think and it's not the way that we experience it that we need to look at it carefully. So we'll do that under, under three headings. Um, first, let's look at the enslaving power of sin. It is pretty clear that, that Paul, the writer here, uh, understood us uh, to, to, or understood sin to be enslaving. Um, you see it there, verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. It's there again in verse 17. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Yet again, middle of verse 19, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. And then once more in verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Paul, very clear that when we're not a Christian believer, we are in the realm or under the mastery of sin. But how so? It doesn't feel like that. Well, because every one of us has, has something that we live for. Every one of us has a, has a thing that if we can just have it, if we can possess this, this thing, then we'll know that life is okay. It's the thing that, that, that our hearts are set upon. And if we can just have it, then, then we'll know that we've arrived. We'll know that, that life is as it should be. There is something that directs, that channels our life. And the striking thing, about these must-haves in our life um, is that they're not usually bad things. They're usually good things. So it might be the desire to, to have people like you, to be respected by people. Nothing bad about that, is it? Good, good to be liked. It might be having a healthy body or being attractive. Nothing bad about those things either. Health is good. Beauty is good. It, it could be succeeding in a career. It could be having children who are thriving. It could be a romantic attachment or, or academic achievement. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. All good things. The problem, however, is when one of those good things morphs, as it were, into an ultimate thing. Into the, the thing that, that drives that actually controls our lives. Because 
none of them were designed to be that. None of them were designed to be the, the thing that is our ultimate meaning, our ultimate purpose. And when they become that in our lives, instead of, as it were, us having them, they have us. They become our master. They become our ruler. We think we're pursuing them. Actually, they've taken hold of us. Now, perhaps you're saying to yourself, no, that's not me. I'm not like that. I'm not, I'm not enslaved by something that I feel I must have. It's not true of me. I'm, I'm much more chilled and relaxed than that. Well, if you're thinking that at the moment, let, let, me, let me just say two quick things. Um, first is, would you realize that the, the person who is most enslaved is the person who has no idea that they are enslaved? It's true of an addict, isn't it? You know, one of the worst aspects of being an addict is your refusal to believe that you are an addict to something. Uh, Jesus said something similar when he said, uh, if, if, you were, if you were not blind, um, then you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But because you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Very fact that you, you don't think that you're blind is your great problem. Or, or perhaps, I'll give you a second argument, but, but perhaps you're right. Perhaps you really are chilled. Perhaps you really are determined to have nothing that really matters to you too much. Nothing that's going to really become your big thing. Yeah, maybe that's true. In fact, maybe it's so true of you that that's the thing that really matters to you, being chilled and being relaxed. And that, above all, is the thing that you must have in life, being relaxed and chilled and not letting anything matter to you. Maybe that's your must-have in life. So first, the enslaving power of sin over us. Uh, and then second, contrast it then with the enslaving rule of God. Uh, come back to verse 16 again. Notice that there are just those two choices. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to somebody as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one you obey, whether slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Just two options. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to to righteousness. Uh, same in verse 18. You've been set free from sin, that's one possibility, and have become slaves to righteousness. That's the other possibility. Now, I, I hope you're beginning to see that the, the, the really profound paradox that there is here. Because when we're not Christians, we're so very sure that we're free from all that miserable, constraining, religious nonsense. Instead of which, what we actually have is an enslavement to sin. On the other hand, when we decide to become a Christian, when we decide to offer ourselves to God, to become, as it were, his slaves, what we get turns out 
to our surprise, to be true freedom. Now, now the whole imagery here, Paul acknowledges, is, is limited. Um, he says in verse 19, it's only a human example. It's got limitations. But it serves his purpose because it, it brings with it the idea of commitment. Um, uh, and maybe it helps to understand that that the slavery we're thinking about here um, isn't so much um, the kind of American trade, uh, slave trade kind of image that we need to think of. No, it's rather different in the first century. Um, people there would, if you got yourself into, into phenomenal sort of life-threatening debt, um, then in the first century you could make a decision to sell yourself into slavery. You offered yourself. It was a way of, um, uh, of getting yourself out of abject poverty. Um, and you'd have some years working for somebody as a slave. Um, and then in due course, after your debts were paid off, you could buy off your own freedom, as it were. Um, so that explains the idea of offering yourself in verse 19. Just as you used to offer yourself as slaves to impurity, to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. There are the two realms again, realm of sin and the realm of obedience and righteousness. And we offer ourselves to one of them. We make our choice. We, we commit ourselves to one or the other. And there is no spiritual Switzerland, no kind of mid-zone where we can just sort of, you know, be in, be in the sort of the neutral camp. No, Paul is saying that it's one or the other. So if we, we were going to do it this morning, we, we could, you know, we could chunk the church up. You know, we could have everybody here this morning sort of move into one of two places. You know, one side representing slaves to sin and one side representing slaves to righteousness, to God. Every single person sits in one of the two camps. Not just the people inside the building, but the people outside the building this morning as well. And to, to become a slave to God means a new allegiance, verse 17. You've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. And, and, it's, and it's a new devotion as well. Because in verse 17, it's obedience from the heart. And it comes to us as a gift. Down in verse 25. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, that in one of the realms, wages get paid. You, know, you, you do what you do and you get your just desserts. And in that realm that the miserable realm in which you do things that you're ashamed of, well, you do what you do, and your wages are death. But in the other realm, it's not wages. In the other realm, it's gift. Do you see that? You don't get what you deserve. You don't do something and get a result. No, 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 you just get given a gift. Very different. And that's what creates the, the, the essential difference between the two realms. Um, I came across a, an illustration that I don't think I've used for a while, um, so I think I'm allowed to use it again. Um, I'd almost forgotten about it, really, but um, 
Uh, I quite like it, so I'll return to it. Um, it, it, comes from, it comes from a weird Vietnamese film, um, which, um, which also commends it. Um, so it, it's, it's the story of two characters in Vietnam. Um, and uh, one is called Hai, H-A-I, and he's a cycle rickshaw rider. Um, and the other is called Lan, L-A-N, and she's a prostitute. Um, and Hai is in love with Lan. But th the thing is that Hai is, lives in absolute poverty, just scratching a living, um, riding his cycle rickshaw, um, and lives under a shack. Lan, on the other hand, um, longs to escape from the world of prostitution um, in which she lives, um, and dreams one day of being able to enter the world of the rich men uh, uh, in whose uh, hotel rooms she turns her tricks. Uh, nothing would mean more to her than to, to be able to enter into their world, you know, to actually stay a night in the hotel instead of just plying her trade and then returning back out onto the street again. But in her desperate attempt to try and earn her way out of this miserable life that she lives, actually, day by day, she is becoming more and more brutalized by the abusive world that she lives in. Anyway, in the film... Hi, the, the cycle rickshaw rider, um, enters a cycle rickshaw race. And to his surprise, he wins a big cash prize. And uh, he decides that he will blow all of the prize money uh, on a night with Lan. So he pays her fee, uh, and he rents a hotel room, and as the watcher of the film, you know exactly what you're expecting to happen next. Only it doesn't play out like that. Because High doesn't have sex with Lan. No, High simply wants to give her what she's always dreamt of having. And he just watches as she falls asleep in the hotel room. And in the morning when she wakes, high is gone. And the experience undoes Lam. For here finally, in place of all the men who used and abused her, here is a man who took all he had, this, this vast wealth, and used all of it to gift to her what she'd always dreamt of having. And she is undone by that. Finds that she cannot anymore work as a prostitute because of what she has experienced in his gift to her. Now do you see that in Christ we have just such a man. A man who took all that he had and gave all of it up for you and I. All his riches set aside. All of it given over 
that he could give a gift to us of eternal life. And when you experience that, when you really experience that, when you encounter the Christ who has loved you like that, not as an idea in your head, but as a personal encounter with him, then you are undone. And you can never be the same again. In that moment, you give up your slavery to sin. You give up your efforts to make a life worth living in your own strength. And you enter into the realm of slavery to Jesus. Slavery to righteousness. Slavery to obedience. Not because you have to, because you want to. Because of the way that you have been loved by him. Which brings us, therefore, thirdly and briefly, to see that if you belong to God, then bear fruit for God. Chapter 6 has, has shown us that there is this, this shift. In the first part of the chapter, it was the shift from death to life. Uh, the second part of the chapter, it's the shift from being slave to sin to being a slave for God. And, and the images are sort of piling up <coughs> in order to help us to see that the, the shift is as radical as it is possible to imagine. And we return to the idea of death at the beginning of, ch of chapter 7. Uh, and Paul gives this, this brief illustration of the way in which uh, a woman who um, is married to a man, or if she sleeps with somebody else, that's adultery. Except not once he's died. Because that changes everything. And then she can enter into a new relationship with somebody else without it being adultery. So it's as dramatic as that. Such a big shift. Uh, and in the same way, Paul says, something similar has happened to you. Something much greater has happened to you when you became a Christian believer. So, verse 4 of chapter 7, So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Jesus Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions arised by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law, so that we might serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written, written code. If you're a Christian believer, you've entered this new realm. You've entered this new realm of the Spirit. Uh, and in the weeks to come, we're going to see all of the ways in which the Spirit brings transformation to the Christian believer. Just as we finish this morning, just, just remember again, if you are here last week, that, that illustration. You know, David Beckham moves from the realm of obedience to Manchester United and Alex Ferguson, transferred to Real Madrid, now in a new realm. And he, he may hear the voice of his old master, and it may momentarily confuse him, but he, he won't live for that master anymore. He won't obey the instructions of that master anymore, because he's in a new realm now. He serves a new Lord. 
And it's a silly human illustration, but it speaks of something much bigger and much more significant. It doesn't nearly do justice to the love of a God who has given up everything that you might enter this new realm under his lordship. If you're a Christian believer, you belong to him now. So bear fruit for him. Why wouldn't you? When you remember the gift that he's given you. Why wouldn't you? When you see what he has done for you. And as we close, I'd, I'd, I'd love, to, I'd love to, to urge us, and I'd love to just give you an opportunity uh, to speak with him about that. Um, I'm not a great one for, for saying, let's, let's go away and we'll think about this in the week to come. Because I know what you like. The week will take you over just like it takes me over. Now let's do it now. Um, so I'm going to ask the band to come back up to the front because they're going to play for us in a minute. Um, and I want a moment of quiet for us before that. And uh, if you're not yet a Christian believer, then just weigh these things. J just weigh whether or not you wouldn't like to hear about a man who has loved you in this way uh, and come to tales of the unexpected. But, but if, you, if you are a Christian believer, then can I suggest you, you do a couple of things? Would, would you first ask God to excite you about the idea of living for him? Would, would you ask him to, to change it from the idea of, of it being sort of a drudgery, living in a Christian life? to being thrilled about living the Christian life, thrilled about being free to live for obedience, to live for righteousness. It is a brilliant thing, being holy. It's the best way to live because it's the right way to live. Ask God to thrill you about it. And then secondly, would you ask him to, to pick out for you one way in which, one area in which you know that obedience for you is hard. And that you might have strength this week, perhaps even this very day, uh, to live obediently in that area. Would you ask him to help you to see one and then to act upon it? That we might, each of us, bear fruit for God. So let me give you some quiet. Uh, that you bring those things before the Lord and in a moment uh, when the music starts we'll stand and sing.